This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, Rod Davis. This is episode 42. And this week, we are in conversation with Christian Seibert. Now, Christian uh, is an industry fellow at the Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne in Australia. Um, and has previously worked for Philanthropy Australia, which is the big representative body for philanthropy um, down there, uh, and also prior to that um, in Parliament in in Australia. So he's been working in this area for quite a long time, and I've got to know Christian sort of over the last few years via Twitter and and other sort of back and forth, because we have a lot of shared interests, as you'll hear in our conversation, in issues to do with philanthropy, and particularly kind of from a policymaking perspective. Um, so when we came to uh, agree to, to do this um, uh, podcast conversation, we were sort of searching around for a topic and the, against the backdrop of a lot of the criticism and critiques that seem to be going on and levelled at philanthropy at the moment, we thought it would be interesting to, to look at some of these and particularly to look at the question of what they tell us about the, the ways in which you can criticise philanthropy effectively and, and why that's important to do. And also, you know, given that we're both sort of policy wonks, think a bit about what the implications might be for policymaking, regulation and legislation. So we had a really good wide ranging conversations, you know, hit all of the the kind of uh, old classics and, and big favourites in terms of topics to do with uh, philanthropy. Um, so we talked, um, we, we mentioned quite a lot in the conversation, you know, a couple of books that are, that have been out there over the last few years that it's worth mentioning up front. So obviously, uh, Anand Giridharadas's book, um, Winners Take All, um, is, you know, is, continues to make big waves and has just um, been launched here in the UK. So there's a sort of fresh wave of interest in that. Also, Rob Reich's, uh Just Giving, um, obviously, we had Rob uh, on the podcast before Christmas talking about that. Um, also, Edgar Villanueva's Decolonizing Wealth, which I still haven't read, but um, Christian had read and, and brought into the conversation. Uh, and a few years older, but still a really good and important book, David Callahan's The Givers. Um, and, and we kind of picked up on some of the, the critiques and criticisms in there about the, the way in which philanthropy struggles to deal with inequality um, the argument that uh, philanthropy that is kind of based on market principles or the idea of win-win approaches can never genuinely address inequality because it is kind of part of the the worldview that has caused those problems in the first place. Um, some of the challenges around the role of philanthropy within a liberal democracy and whether the innovation role of philanthropy in terms of driving forward uh, society and particularly advocating for change uh, also kind of causes problems because it runs counter to, to electoral democracy. Um, and then thinking about some of the ways in which philanthropy can be made more democratic in itself and more responsive and accountable to the people and communities it's trying to serve so that it has more legitimacy in, in the long term. 
Um, now we're both uh, not from America, but obviously the, a lot of the conversation about philanthropy tends to be led by the US. It's a much bigger canvas. It's a much more advanced sort of culture of, of philanthropy and philanthropy sector. So a lot of these issues tend to play out on a bigger scale over there. Uh, and people like Christian and I uh, from elsewhere in the world who are interested in philanthropy obviously quite often look to to the US. But we thought it would be quite interesting to kind of uh, have the perspective of two people who are interested in those topics and reasonably well briefed but not from the US itself so we tried to also think through some of the ways in which those arguments um, didn't necessarily ring true in, in other contexts here in the UK and in Australia um, so without further ado I'll stop yammering now and, and go into the conversation um, I hope you enjoy that uh, and then I will be back at the end of the podcast for a brief bit of housekeeping and tidying up so stay tuned for that Okay, great. So I'm here with Christian Seibert. Hi, Christian. Hi, Roger. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. Um, well, you know, we've kind of known each other for a while in, in one of those weird sort of modern relationships where we've kind of back and forth on Twitter and, and other sort of social media platforms. Um, but it's great to kind of have a chance to talk properly because we've obviously got a lot of shared interests. But um, maybe the, the best place to start is if you just kind of say in your own words a bit about, you know, you and your background and kind of where you come from in terms of being interested in philanthropy. Sure. Well, you know, it's great to be here um, chatting with you. Rodri, and yeah, a bit about me. So I'm an industry fellow um, at the Centre for Social Impact at Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne, Australia. So the Centre for Social Impact is a, a research centre focused on social innovation, and that includes um, social enterprise, uh, philanthropy, looking at the not-for-profit sector, the effectiveness of government programs. And um, it's actually a network of three research centres across three universities in Australia, but I'm based at Swinburne University in Melbourne. And the focus of my research is philanthropy and the not-for-profit sector. And I have a particular interest in the regulation of philanthropy, um, which is actually what I'm doing my, my PhD on at the moment. So I do research as part of my role. I do teaching as well. I teach strategic philanthropy here at Swinburne. Um, but I also um, work one day a week at Philanthropy Australia, which is the peak body for the philanthropic sector in Australia, where I do some advisory work in their um, public policy and advocacy, um, in the in the public policy and advocacy area, um, in terms of getting the, the policy and regulatory framework for, to, to enable philanthropy to grow in Australia. And I've had a sort of an interesting um, path to, to, to getting here. If you ask me during university, am I, am I going to be sort of focusing on philanthropy in the not-for-profit sector, I probably would have said, what's philanthropy and what's the not-for-profit sector? Um, when I was at university, it always seemed that there was, you know, government and then there was business and it didn't really, you know, the, the, the career centre didn't really speak much about, you know, the broader not-for-profit sector and, um, you know, heard about philanthropy here and there. But um, my, my journey here really began in earnest. Um, when I came back from... Um, from studying in the UK at the London School of Economics, where I studied regulatory policy. Um, I got a job working for um, the previous Australian government between 2010 and 2013 um, as, a, as a, an, a political advisor. You'd call them a special advisor in the, um, in the UK. Worked for two ministers. And the last minister I worked for was actually um, the minister who was in charge of setting up a new charities commission here in Australia. So a dedicated regulator for the charity sector, which we didn't have in Australia prior to 2012. 
Um, you've got one in the in England and Wales, and there's a number of them around the world, not in um, the US and Canada, though. Um, so yeah, I was in charge of setting that up, getting legislation through, and I've dealt a lot with the not-for-profit sector, um, with, with philanthropic organisations, and I sort of thought, you know, this is a, a great sector. I, I you know, didn't know that much about it. I'd like to work in it. And um, so, yeah, in, in, after um, 2013, I joined Philanthropy Australia, looking after their public policy and advocacy work. I was there for four four years. And, um, and yeah, then I um, came over to the Centre for Social Impact at, um, at Swinburne. But, yeah, I'm still involved with with Philanthropy Australia and, um, you know, observe the debates around the world and participate in them, not just in Australia. Great. Um, well, yeah, really, really sort of good to get an overview of your background. Obviously, we've got a lot of, of uh, shared interests and quite a lot of sort of similarities in, in where we're approaching this stuff from. Um, you know, we, we could have chosen all sorts of things to talk about. But I think, as I, I said in the intro, what we thought it would be, you know, kind of interesting to talk about, given some of the things going on in the, the wider context, was about the current wave of critiques and criticisms of philanthropy that we're seeing particularly coming from the US at the moment so I'm thinking of um, uh, kind of Anand Giridharadas's book Winners Take All and Rob Reich's book Just Giving which were both out last year and sort of um, generating a lot of discussion around issues to do with philanthropy um, and I guess that maybe you know starting point you know, rather than sort of focusing on the substance of some of those critiques although I'm sure we'll come on to those is to have a, a bit of a think about this the, the question of what the these criticisms and the way that they have the response that they've got tells us about how you should go about criticizing philanthropy and maybe why you know do you think it's important for philanthropy to to criticize itself or engage with criticism and how do we do that positively you know, i actually think that the um the fact that there is this debate that there is that there are these critiques is actually a really good thing because um i think that you know philanthropy um you know is a I think, you know, really can be a really positive force for um, good in society. But, you know, using some of the critiques themselves, you know, it can be um, somewhat detached and unaccountable um, from society more broadly. It doesn't, you know, it's not subject to the voters, not subject to shareholders, etc. So I think that these kinds of critiques are good because even if people don't agree with them, um, they would, they can challenge them and they can inspire them to, to think about, you know, reflect on how they're doing things and how they could do things differently um, to justify um, why their philanthropy um, is good and why philanthropy itself as a, as a, a thing to do is, is good. So I think it's positive that we have these sorts of um, criticisms and, and have these sorts of debates. But as you alluded to in your, in your question, I think it's, it is important that, um, that the, the critiques are done well, because I think um, there's a risk where if you just try and preach to the converted, um, then those that aren't converted, those that, um, you know, aren't that receptive to your views, well, they'll just go, well, you know, I don't agree with that, and they'll just shut off. And then really, what's your critique done? Um, although that said, perhaps your critique might not... Um, uh, win over those people who you you know within this within philanthropy people who are philanthropists or working for foundations but it might I suppose generate a broader debate in society around the role of philanthropy but I think that there is yeah there is something in terms of how you actually um, criticize and do you think with with some of these critiques that um, 
that they are supposed to be aimed at philanthropy or philanthropists themselves or are they as you say kind of more aimed at the broader public to make them aware of some of these challenges or at policymakers because I guess it you know each of those different audiences might lead you to take a different tack because actually you might you might be less bothered about whether or not philanthropists are likely to agree with you or or sort of take uh, issue with what you're saying if your focus is on creating more of a sort of populist awareness of some of these issues or if your focus was on getting policymakers to take specific actions to to perhaps curb or control philanthropy um so do, do you think that's kind of playing playing something of a part in in the way in which some of these criticisms are being presented yeah i mean i think i think for example I mean, my first exposure to to sort of these critiques was reading the givers by by david callahan which is an excellent book mm, yeah. um and it's you know what was so impressive about it is that he you know approaches it you know he's got a, a particular view but he's, he's very even-handed he's got amazing access in terms of the people that he spoke to um and you know he's very much you know um although he, he's, he's a he's a critic um but you know he's very much an insider as well um and you know i got the impression that sort of that the givers by david callahan was very much sort of focused perhaps more on the sector, although it did get some exposure. I mean, David wrote some opinion pieces for the New York Times, etc. Um, and I think since then, you know, if you go to the sort of other extreme, I think, for example, um, Winners Take All by Anand Giridharadas, I think that that's more of the kind of um, populist critique l- looking at sort of, you know, um, trying to engage with society more broadly rather than focusing on the, the philanthropic sector itself. And, and I actually wonder, you know, how whether, say, Anand Giridharadas is actually that interested in changing the philanthropic sector compared with, say, someone such as um, Rob Reich or um, David Callahan, who are showing, you know, and have shown that they're very keen to engage and 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 talk with it, with people within the sector and and you know be challenged themselves and and respond to those critiques. I think, um, yeah, Giridharadas is. It's, it, I think it's sort of positioned in a different way and to a different audience. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that, you know, in, in each of the books, and certainly in Giridharadas' book, there there are some very important and well-made arguments that I think anybody genuinely interested in, in philanthropy needs to pay attention to. And it's also broad, it's broader than just philanthropy. I mean, he's, yeah. philanthropy is one part of what he looks at, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, in some ways, it's uh, philanthropy is a starting point for a wider argument about inequality, the nature of kind of wealth and elites and the... The, the sort of uh, adoption of dogmatic principles about the market, which, you know, all of which are valid arguments, but as you say, go much broader than philanthropy, and it's kind of used as a, as a lens for all of that. But I, I guess when I read Giridharadis' book, what, what I couldn't decide quite was what he he thought should be done about his arguments because at times it seems as though he was saying you know the conclusion is we should get rid of philanthropy because it clearly you know the the problems that it faces means that um you know that any of the good that could be done through it will never outweigh the the damage that is done through having this level of inequality or these ways of of creating wealth but then at other times he seems to be saying that you know um actually there are other ways of doing philanthropy or other ways of generating money that that might overcome some of the problems so he talks quite positively about b corporations and he occasionally makes allusions to you know more democratic models of philanthropy but doesn't seem to kind of be willing to to take one side or the other i mean do do you do you think he kind of 
I'm not I'm not sure sort of in his book or in in sort of subsequent follow-up arguments whether he's he's slightly kind of taking more of a tack now that he actually just sort of is generally pretty down on philanthropy um but I, I guess what what you think the end result is of these criticisms dictates to a large extent how much you're willing to engage with compromise or arguments from the other side as well mm. yeah well sort of one of the responses to his book was well you know you haven't you've, you've got this critique of sort of market world as you know what he calls it um of which you know philanthropy is one part um but that he has but but you haven't laid out what the the way forward or the solutions are and i think you know i'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing here um his response is well i'm a I'm a journalist and, you know, I'm just documenting what I've observed and what I think the implications of it are. But my job is not to come up with solutions, um, let alone, um, you know, policy solutions. So he's really sort of almost, I think, resisted coming up with with um, sort of the kinds of solutions that, say, um, David Callahan and, and Rob Reich come up with in, in, in their respective books. Um, he's been much more sort of focused on, I say calling out, you know, what he sees as happening and why he sees that as being problematic, rather than finding a a solution. And I I think that um sort of looking at, for example, you know, some of the the things he said since um, the book was published and some of the things that you know he's tweeted, etc. He's taken, I think, more of a hard line against philanthropy, sort of even since his books been published. Um, and I find that conserve, uh, concerning because I, I, I think that, you know, he, the risk is he's generalizing. Um, he's saying, you know, philanthropy is bad because ABC and it's like, well, um, you know, some philanthropy might be bad for that reason, but other philanthropy might, um, might not be, might actually be good. Um, and I think whenever you, you're criticizing something as diverse as philanthropy, um, you know, there's a risk that you can generalize. And, you know, I think if you can, you, you generalize it, it just detracts from the argument that you're trying to make. Yeah. And I, I certainly think the there is something very important in Girida Radice's uh, argument about kind of market world principles and a particular approach to philanthropy. But I, I do think he elides the difference between that and other forms of philanthropy. Um, I think sometimes it's implied that, that philanthropy is all about sort of win-win principles and market world, which I mean, the interesting thing for me was I read that and I thought, oh, that's that's very interesting as a critique of US philanthropy. It didn't ring quite as true in the UK context because I, I don't think you could write that book uh, about philanthropy over here. I think partly the, the culture of elite philanthropy is very different. I mean, it's much smaller for a start, but also you know, there there probably are people coming to it with that kind of McKinsey mindset and, and talking about win-win uh, approaches that embrace the market. But there are just as many people who are very resistant to that and, you know, push for more kind of social justice-based models of philanthropy. You know, was was that something you kind of felt um, anything similar reading it in, uh, in Australia? Yeah, it's, it's certainly, I don't think, sort of applicable um, in, a, in an Australian context. I think what in his book is applicable in an Australian context. I think the general sort of argument, that, you know, there is this kind of arg argument that, um, you know, that he that he challenges that, you know, the way to change the world is to go into business and use business to change the world. I think that, you know, in Australia, there'd be, you know, quite a number of people who would agree with that. 
um, many people who would disagree with it um, as well. Um, and ever since I, I, um, I read his book and I um, on my, my LinkedIn um, page, you know, I get all these ads for Boston Consulting and McKinsey, et cetera, and they all seem to be about, you know, join McKinsey, join Boston Consulting to change the world, to reduce carbon emissions, et cetera. And whenever I sort of see them, I think of, of his critique. And I, so I think that there is something to his critique there. Um, but in terms of, you know, the role of philanthropy, I, I don't think that that critique of philanthropy really applies in Australia, partly because I think one of the critiques that often people make of philanthropy here is, is that, um, and I hear this often from sort of philanthropic advisors who work with foundations, um, that people, you know, in business, they can be really um, sort of, you know, take risks and be really, you know, shrewd, etc. And then when it comes to their philanthropy, um, they just don't want to take risks. They just want to be very sort of safe in terms of what their giving is, um, do rather sort of traditional giving. Um, that's one critique that I actually um, hear quite a bit. And so, yeah, I, I even think that in, in, in a US context, um, there are lots of, you know, progressive foundations in the US that are trying to, um, you know, tackle inequality. And that, not just the Ford Foundation, you know, it's a very prominent one, but there, there are, you know, whole networks of progressive funders that are looking at sort of the the underlying causes of inequality, looking at, you know, issues around um, racial injustice and things like that. So even the critique in a US context, it's only a critique of s certain parts of the philanthropic sector. Um, certainly not all of the um, the the philanthropic sector. And I think when you look at, say, something like yeah, David Callahan's book, he goes into more depth in terms of, you know, a lot of the, the people that he speaks to and, and you know, that you see the, the complexity when you read David's book in terms of, yeah, there are different kinds of foundations um, with different missions, objectives, um, strategies, approaches. And I think that, um, yeah, that nuance is, um, is lost in, um, in, Giratoratus's book. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm saying you know various. I'm, I'm challenging various things in his book. I still think it's an excellent book, and I learned a lot from it. But I think you know, in terms of its sort of critique of philanthropy, you know, some of the generalizations that it makes, even in a U.S. context, are um, are, are problematic. Yeah, and I well, I guess I mean I, I totally agree because I think I, I took a, a drew a similar conclusion, which is if if you're coming to it from the philanthropy world and to whatever degree you're kind of at least open to the idea that there is something positive and good that you should retain in philanthropy, then you read a book like Winners Take All and and you, the lessons you take from it, I think, largely are about the challenges that philanthropy faces and what is required in order to make it better for the future. So when it comes to something like inequality, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, organisations like the Ford Foundation and others genuinely are trying to address underlying systemic inequality through philanthropic means and it is difficult because there is a question about whether philanthropy is a product of inequality in the first place so it's very difficult to use it as a tool to address it but for me the conclusion to that to making that point is not oh well don't bother it is can we find ways of doing philanthropy in such a way that you minimize those challenges so you know do you give more power to the people that you're giving the money to do you kind of use participatory grant making or other mechanisms like that to kind of genuinely 
uh, kind of dismantle the structures that have created the inequality in the first place. So I think you can, you can the impo- the arguments themselves are very important and kind of clearly stated. But actually, maybe where we and you know people end up differing from each other is in the lessons that that they draw from them. Well, that's a really good point because even if even if, for example, you know, um, the U.S. government tomorrow say you know dramatically increased. Um, taxes on the wealthy, um, you know, you'd still have, you know, large foundations. You'd still have, um, you know, large foundations being created. Um, And so, you know, you'd you'd still want to try and shape how they actually, um, you know, do their philanthropy. And I actually think um, one sort of critique that we haven't mentioned yet um, is is a a book that's come out relatively recently by um, Edgar Villanueva, um, decolonizing wealth, indigenous wisdom to heal divides and restore balance. It's a it's a great book. Mm. Um, I haven't read it, and, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great book, and it really sort of you know Edgar's got a really interesting story himself, and he's worked for a number of foundations, and he really does in his book lay out a um a, a roadmap for how to change philanthropy. Um, and, I, and it's you know really interesting in, in in terms of you know how he links sort of his experiences and some of the you know issues that he's identified within um, philanthropy, but then lays out a roadmap for how to change it so that it can um, you know contribute to a, a just and and um, more equal society. And one thing from Edgar's book that really stands out to me is that he's not he's not sort of um, criticizing sort of money and wealth per se he's criticizing you know how money has been used and how wealth has been used but he actually talks about how money is actually can actually be medicine um for the ills of society and then he goes about you know setting out how um money could be that medicine and um it's it's a really powerful book and um yeah i do recommend it Mm, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, that sounds very much up my street because I guess, you know, where I come to on, on all of these things is even if I buy a lot of the arguments about the the general uh, non-desirability of inequality in society and, and sort of fundamental social injustice, the pragmatic reality to me is society is unequal and I can't see that changing, you know, in a heartbeat due to kind of socialist revolution anytime soon. Which is, you know, not to say that one might not want that to be the end result, that actually you end up in a society where everyone is so equal that there's no space for philanthropy. But even if you do, I think the reality is you have to work with the world as it is now and sort of use philanthropy as a tool to whatever end, whether whether that is to get rid of all inequality or merely to, to minimise it. So um, I think sometimes the the... It's quite tempting to just stand back and criticise from the sidelines and say, "Well, there's, you know, there's no point even engaging with this," because that's that's often, I think, a lot easier than the the thorny reality of compromise and sort of dealing with the world as it is, rather than as you would ideally like it to be. Well, and I think you know one sort of response I've also seen to some of the the criticisms is that you know isn't inequality the real problem, rather than sort of you know, philanthropy is the fact that there is inequality and it is leading to some, you know, uh, you know, you've got, you know, all these um, mega billionaires in Silicon Valley, you know, as a result of that system. So, and, you know, then they go and do philanthropy. So the fact that they've got, 
money and they're doing philanthropy and they might, you know, sometimes do their philanthropy better, sometimes do it, you know, worse, et cetera. But that's not the issue. It's the fact that there actually is inequality itself. And that's what needs to be tackled. And um, that's the actually underlying issue here. And I suppose the response to that um, response could be, well, and this is, I think, sort of the argument that David Callahan um, in particular makes in The Givers is that, you know, you can argue that in some respects, the the changes in in the American in American society, you know, this will be less so in the UK and in Australia, but you know, in in the UK, you know, various think tanks that have been supported by philanthropy have been very influential in Australia as well. Um, but it's much more sort of I think you know extreme in the in the United States. Um, you could say well, but you know, ever since the 1970s, there's the famous um, Powell Memorandum by um, Lewis Powell, who was um, before he became a justice of the Supreme Court um, when President Nixon appointed him in 1972, he set out this memorandum about how, um, you know, how to fight back against sort of the the socialist tendencies in academia and the public discourse. And it set out sort of a strategy to um, focus on universities, establishing think tanks, et cetera. And that's credited with, um, with um, sort of inspiring many um, of the more conservative um, philanthropists in the US to to sort of you know fund yeah sort of programs at universities think tanks etc it's it's sort of comprehensively documented in um in Jane Mayer's book dark money um, but you know you could argue well you know the changes that you know that that philanthropy sort of facilitated as part of funding that battle of ideas that led to you know, deregulation during the 1980s under under Reagan and, you know, continued under Clinton, et cetera, you know, philanthropy could be, you know, held at least partly responsible for that. But then I suppose the alternative argument is, well, philanthropy, yes, could be held responsible for that, but philanthropy also played a huge role supporting the civil rights movement. Um, the Ford Foundation, for example, um, was funding, you know, a lot of civil rights activism in the 1960s, for example. And, um, you know, there were many foundations that were sort of supporting, um, you know, causes focused on um, addressing injustice and inequality. So I think, again, it comes down to, you know, you can't generalise. Um, there's there's a lot of nuance here. But I think one thing I, before we... Um, chatted today, I wanted to sort of, you know, because the risk we have as well is, I think, overplaying the influence of philanthropy. I think in the circles that we move in and, you know, the people we follow on Twitter, etc., we can think that philanthropy perhaps has more influence than it than it does. But I, you know, I looked at the size of the US federal budget, um, although, you know, not much of that money is flowing at the moment. But um, in 2015, it was $3.3 trillion, whereas total giving from foundations in 2015 was just under 63 billion. So we're talking 3.3 trillion dollars of US government expenditure. That's just federal expenditure. Then there's the states, local government, etc. And philanthropy is just under 63 billion dollars. So sure, it can certainly have influence, um, but it's hard for me to tell not being there. But you know, I like to stay keyed in into these debates. You know, the the risk that we perhaps overemphasize its influence.
I think that that's right. Uh, certainly in in monetary terms. I mean, it's Bill Gates's sort of famous point that philanthropy is at best a rounding error, um, and I think that's true. And like, and that that to me is the first thing to say to anyone who ever expresses any view that philanthropy is a sort of uh, appropriate replacement for public expenditure because i think the the you know the level that we're talking about is just non-comparable but i guess that raises a really interesting point which goes back to something you were saying before which is okay philanthropy is never going to have sort of sufficient monetary value uh, unless something very fundamentally changes to to replace public expenditure so what what is its role within a state and i think this this goes to one of the crucial part of rob Reich's book which is actually the the kind of justifiable role of philanthropy and where it really brings value is in this idea of discovery so in kind of taking risks and testing things that the state for whatever reason cannot and thereby finding new ways of addressing problems that you know either can be scaled up independently of the state or more likely can be taken on board by the state um and i i totally buy that argument but going back to what you were saying about you know the issue of kind of dark money and and think tanks and the political influence of philanthropy it strikes me that th- this positive argument for philanthropy that it's about innovation and kind of driving things that the state can't do well the flip side of that is who gets to decide what those things are because if you agree with them so if it's me and it's you know George Soros funding uh kind of liberalization in democracies around the world or somebody funding uh initiatives that get you know um to combat climate change great but then if it's somebody that I disagree with like the Koch brothers funding initiatives to kind of suppress research into climate change then I'm going to think that's illegitimate so th- this question of kind of philanthropic innovation outside the state versus the democratic legitimacy of philanthropy seems to me very difficult to to square. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the role of philanthropy within a within a liberal democracy is a you know a very interesting question, which um, Rob Reich in particular um, focuses on. And I think, I mean, it'll have various roles. I think, um, I think ultimately, you know, there's always this there's there's this space in society, you know, which we call civil society, you know, where you know. Um, which is beyond or outside of government, um, where people come together, um, you know, to pursue shared objectives and, and you know, for the betterment of society. And I think sort of um, de Tocqueville even observed something about that um, in the United States when he visited sort of, you know, 200 years ago, um, the, the, the spirit of voluntarism um, in, in the United States. So I think, you know, there's that role of philanthropy of basically sort of being, you know, the, the funding for that. And that can be, you know, philanthropy on a small scale. Um, you know, it can be big philanthropy. Um, and I think I don't have the data in front of me, but I think a lot of US philanthropy still is basically, you know, um, providing sort of support for um, basic needs and programs to, you know, uh, you know, provide housing for the homeless, um, those sorts of things, you know, things that people traditionally associate, you know, with charity and, um, and, you know, are sort of pretty hard to argue with. Um, so it really has that sort of, yeah, kind of perhaps sort of, you know, subsidizing those sorts of things, um, providing, you know, the funding for civil society to, to flourish. But I think, and it also has that very important discovery role, which, um, which, um, Rob Reich talks about in the sense that philanthropy at its best, and I say at its best because I don't, you know, 
not all philanthropy um, does this. And I think that there's perhaps a bit of a tendency for philanthropy to sort of think that it takes risks and innovates more than it actually does. Um, but, you know, philanthropy at its best, part of it will involve, yeah, taking risks, trialling programs, um, the sorts of things that government might not want to do because um, government might be more risk averse. It'll wonder what, you know, voters might think or what, you know, the the you know, other politicians might say, et cetera. So philanthropy, you know, part, precisely because it is less accountable, um, can take risks. And, you know, it may fund some sort of, you know, new way of um, delivering, you know, a, a program to address homelessness. And then, you know, it's evaluated, um, the impact of it is, is assessed, and then there can be a case put to government to, you know, change the way that government is... Um, uh, is is you know trying to address homelessness. So I think that is a very important role for philanthropy. Um, but I think you know there's also a third role in terms of, and it is linked, I suppose, with this discovery um, role, um, is funding advocacy, so empowering citizens and um, civil society to um, hold government accountable, um, to influence government. And I think that that's where a lot of the sort of um, the controversy comes. And, you know, that's David Callahan in his book, The Givers, has got a you know, big issue with that role of philanthropy because, you know, he, in his view, it's you know, a relatively small group of um, wealthy individuals um, who are using, you know, their money to um, influence the policy direction of the country and, you know, go back to sort of what I talked about before about the, the power memorandum and sort of the, the influence that had on, on various conservative foundations. And then, yeah, of course, sort of, you know, the various arguments in terms of, um, you know, the Koch brothers or um, George Soros, et cetera. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complex one because some people say, well, you know, it just enables them to have more of a say than, um, you know, someone that doesn't have money, for example. Yeah, no, lots, lots to pick up on in, in there. Lots of um, good points. I mean, I think your your point there about the fact that philanthropy at its best is is able to take risk and drive discovery, I really like because I mean, I totally agree. I think you're right. It's too often easy to for philanthropy to sort of assume that it gets a free pass on that, whereas actually. A lot of philanthropy, I'm not sure, lives up to that idea. And I think the most damning criticism you can level at philanthropy is that it's unimaginative or kind of, you know, risk risk averse. So I totally buy that point. On on this question of um, kind of the the role of philanthropy in funding or kind of driving advocacy, uh, no, I, I mean, I agree. I think that is the sort of, occasionally the, the two aren't linked up, but that is the other side of discovery because discovery to me is not just about finding yeah. new ways of delivering interventions. It's about bringing new issues to public attention and kind of shifting the dial of public opinion and political opinion on them. And and this is this is one where I find it really interesting, both in terms of the difference between the US and elsewhere. And maybe this will bring us on to the question of the legislative response. Because, you know, the in the US, I think the argument's very much about elite philanthropy and the way in which that has had an influence. But the context there with things like Citizens United and the, you know, the whole role of super PACs and dark money We've seen some elements of that in the UK, and I don't know what the situation is in Australia, but it doesn't feel like it at the moment is a kind of core argument. The The issue uh, with kind of ad- charitable or philanthropic advocacy in the UK is more about the way in which it has been increasingly 
constrained um, yeah. and and the you know the sector or kind of civil society pushing back on that because it's having its voice stifled and i guess you know you see those two sides of it isn't it the the positive side of advocacy is the role that philanthropy has historically played in bringing issues to light and driving social change and if that is being constrained that is a concern but then the flip side is if philanthropy grows to a point where it allows wealthy individuals to have you know an an unfair amount of influence over the direction of public debate and policy then that's equally a concern i mean how does that resonate in australia and i guess what do you think that means in terms of policy or legislative responses well it's you know it's it's quite similar i think to sort of how sort of um plays out in the united kingdom i mean at philanthropy australia um you know we've been you know, working really hard to um, encourage philanthropy to fund more advocacy because in the past has been reluctant to fund advocacy. And we're now seeing um, philanthropy funding more advocacy, um, getting more engaged, um, and and we're really excited about that. Um, and it's kind of the, the, yeah, I suppose the reverse because um, philanthropy doesn't hasn't traditionally really funded that much advocacy here Um and so we've you know, tried to change that because um, the reason for that is, you know, the understanding that if um, uh, not-for-profits, if charities can't focus on the um, on the the, core, the underlying causes of the, um, the 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 various challenges they're trying to address and yeah, advocate for policy change um, and just focus on the symptoms, well, that's not. You know that's not going to address the underlying causes. Um, it's not probably a very effective use of of funds. And you know, and 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 not for profit and charities want to use, um, you know, want to do more advocacy. And you know, their feedback has been that philanthropy has been quite reluctant to fund it. And that's changing. And we're really excited about that. But it seems like there's a, you know, it's the re- reverse um, in much of um, the 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 US, but that's probably because um, we don't have sort of you know the the mega billionaires um, you know like you know the Gates Foundation you know focusing on you know you know changing the education system you know getting more charter schools etc. We don't have that, and so maybe if one day we did have that, um, I like to say it, it'd be kind of a good problem to have in Australia. Um, um, I say that in the sense that, you know, it would mean that philanthropy has grown so much here um, that, you know, we'd have that problem. But, um, yeah, we don't really have that problem. We have, you know, you know, there are debates around money in politics and the influence of corporate interests, et cetera, but very little about sort of the influence of, of philanthropy, um, a little bit here and there about, you know, are they funding this think tank? This think tank won't reveal its donors, etc. And I know you have a bit of that in the um, in the United Kingdom as well, but nowhere on the level of um, of of the United States. And what's interesting here too, as well, is is that you know the focus here has been on trying to stop you know the imposition of new restrictions on advocacy, like in the in the United Kingdom. Um, and those restrictions have generally been imposed by conservative governments, um, whereas in the United States, you know, conservative governments, well, they actually want to remove some of the existing restrictions that are there. For example, the Johnson Amendment, which limits the kind of um, advocacy that um, 501c3s can undertake. You know, they want you know the Trump Trump and um, and the Republicans want to actually remove that. 
Um, so it's yeah, it, it, it is it is kind of the opposite, really. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. It's I mean, it strikes me that sort of fundamentally, if we're to, I mean, assuming that some of these arguments about the the US and the role of elite philanthropy and advocacy did did ring true, and we've you know kind of discussed why they they don't quite sit right. It's sort of a lo- in large part you could address them. Um, I think. Uh, well two ways one by having more transparency because as you say it immediately becomes a problem if it's seen as opaque or as uh, something akin to dark money because that makes people question uh, question the motives but also use ensuring that you use mechanisms to make the decisions about where that money goes more democratic whether that's either by funding um, existing kind of institutions within civil society or kind of engaging a broader base of people to make sure that even if you're bringing a lot of money to the table as an elite philanthropist to fund some sort of social change, if you're doing so in a way that seems as though it has a large groundswell of grassroots support, so it's not just you doing it, even if you're providing the funding, that feels quite different to the sort of stereotype of the uh, the sort of elite philanthropist with a particular issue they want to address, making all of the decisions about where the money goes and trying to individually influence the course of public discourse and policy. So, so it feels again like one of those issues where there might be, you know, a solution that gets you quite a long way to addressing the problem from sort of by shaping the way you do philanthropy rather than than kind of feeling as though it's a fundamental challenge to to the legitimacy of philanthropy per se well yeah and i think that you know it sort of gets onto the topic of how you regulate philanthropy and you know i I have to say that you know i'm quite cautious when it comes to sort of new regulations um and you know um some of the things that um uh say rob reach proposes i mean I, i i agree you know with his you know, point about, you know, a tax deduction and a tax credit, you know, I think, you know, he makes that case well. Um, um, you know, don't agree sort of with, you know, time limiting um, foundations, requiring them to have a certain size, etc. I think that, you know, my concern is that um, philanthropy is this sort of, you know, it, it, has, it has to have a certain autonomy. And I'm, I do get concerned when we sort of can put forward policies that, you know, effectively, you know, might seem like they're solving a problem that, you know, might be there. But in the end, you know, they're they're picking and choosing and, and saying, you know, this is how you should, philanthropy should be done this way, etc. And there can be all sorts of unintended consequences. And so I, I do think that it is important to um to, to protect the autonomy of philanthropy. But that doesn't mean that it, you know, shouldn't be subject to um uh, you know, Certain regulations, you know, I, for example, in Australia, you know, I'm a big supporter of having a minimum distribution for, for private foundations and public foundations, for example, which is a sort of, you know, controversial issue here, I know, in the United Kingdom as well. Um, you know, I think that, you know, transparency is a very good thing. I'm not so sure about whether it should be mandated. Um, well, I, I don't think it should be mandated, at least in Australia, like it is in the United States. Um, but, you um, I definitely think transparency is a good thing and there should be more transparency. Um, and again, it's something that, for example, Philanthropy Australia encourages. Um, and yeah, certainly, you know, new forms of um, <clears throat> of undertaking philanthropy, um, sort of, you know, participatory philanthropy and the Foundation Centre, um, Grantcraft, put out a great report about that last year, sort of, you know, showing how you can actually, you know, how do you 
do participatory philanthropy. And I think, you know, we're, we're only at the very beginning of that, um, that sort of, um, that sort of debate. And you know, I think there's, you know, relatively little participatory philanthropy still. Um, but I think that one of the issues I have is that often when we think about regulation, the reflex is to think, oh, regulation, we need government regulation. So, you know, rules um, about what you can do and what you can't do, um, et cetera. But, you know, I think we forget that, you know, regulation is actually can be more broadly conceived of in terms of, you know, civil society itself can be a force of regulation. Um, so the the case study I use is um, she wrote an article about this for the Stanford Social Innovation Review a couple of years ago. It was about um, sort of Mark Zuckerberg's first kind of foray into sort of larger scale philanthropy where he committed $100 million to um, try and fix the, the school system in Newark in New Jersey. And um, it was, you know, well, you know, to be blunt, you know, generally regarded as a failure in the sense that um, it really didn't achieve what um, it was aimed to achieve. And I think yeah, a lot of that can, you know, come down to the fact, you know, how it was actually done. Um, it was announced on Oprah before any of the sort of community leaders, um, sort of any of the stakeholders from the school system even knew about it. He went on Oprah with um, Cory Booker, who's you know, potentially going to be a, um, a presidential candidate for the Democrats. Um, and then, you know, from the very beginning, it was just the engagement was terrible. It was really sort of centralised, top down. They hired some, you know, engagement consultants that came over from Manhattan to undertake engagement, you know, some town hall meetings, but nothing was ever followed up. And so ultimately, there was basically like a, a revolt led by um, a principal, a community leader who... Um, who, who challenged the reforms and he was elected mayor and they basically got stopped. And um, it's actually documented in a really interesting book, which I would again recommend. It's called The Prize, Who's in Charge of America's Schools by Dale Russikoff. She's um, a, a journalist. I'd really recommend that book as well because it documents how it happened. But I think it comes down to the concept of something I've also written about, philanthropy's social license to operate. Um, you know, philanthropy, you know, it's important that, you know, the communities where it is active, um, where it is trying to seek change, view it as legitimate. Um, and if they don't view it as legitimate, well, it'll be harder to um, to achieve change. Um, and look, I would almost say that, you know, if they're not viewed as, if it's not viewed as legitimate by the community, is it really philanthropy? Is it really, if, if, if the community thinks it's not for the, it's not for the public good, then is it really philanthropy? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, there's there's a certain sense in which, you know, there's a, a an, I would hope, old-fashioned model of quite patrician philanthropy, which is essentially deciding for people and communities what their problems are and how to address them and then doing things to them. Uh, and that seems to me where it's very problematic, whereas actually if you are engaging with people to understand what they feel their challenges and needs and priorities are and how they want to address them and working with them to achieve that – then then philanthropy it seems to me has a lot more legitimacy um but you know i'm i'm sure the problem is there still are a lot plenty of instances where unfortunately people take that old fashioned tack and yeah. and and as you said i mean in a way that's where zuckerberg fell down and i think to a large extent in fairness to him he's held up his hands and and said you know mia mia culpa i i got that one wrong um i just sort of i wonder whether it's 
you know it's it's part of the 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 kind of the inherent dna of philanthropy particularly elite philanthropy that people who have you know made a lot of money particularly when they when they come to giving it away they they will want to exert a large level of control over it and actually one of the biggest challenges i think to making philanthropy effective and legitimate is getting philanthropists themselves to realize that giving away power as well as money is very important and actually in the long run is what will make their philanthropy have lasting impact yeah and i think that um you know i think there can be a tendency where somebody's been you know successful in business um you know they do their philanthropy and they think you know that they they know all the answers and i mean you know some some philanthropists will be like that you know others won't be um and yeah there can be that kind of a tendency and but actually that's why i sort of think that you know when it comes to you know how philanthropy um, can be regulated, you know, I think that, you know, as I said before, I'm, you know, quite cautious when it comes to new regulation and, you know, concerned about sort of um, the impacts on the autonomy of philanthropy. But what I'm not cautious about, and I think what would be quite positive is, you know, perhaps some of the, the foundations in the US that, you know, think in this way and realize the need for philanthropy to more be more sort of engaged with communities and to be more accountable. Well, perhaps they can fund organisations whose job it is to actually scrutinise philanthropy, um, not not to sort of uh, oppose philanthropy necessarily, or well, they might have to sometimes, but organisations that can actually look at you know this program that this foundation's doing in this in this you know school district or you know this new initiative that the Gates Foundation's got and actually scrutinise it and challenge it and actually provide some of that accountability because there really isn't much of that. There is a little bit. There is the um, National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy, um, the NCRP, um, in the in the United States, which was sort of founded in the 1970s um, because there was a view that, you know, a lot of the foundations were sort of out of touch with the needs of communities, not focusing on inequality, and it's, you know, uh, it's a very progressive um, organisation. But, you know, there, apart from that, there really isn't that much scrutiny. So, you know, that might be an interesting thing for um, some foundations to actually fund, um, and it might be more realistic given that it appears to sort of get to get any kind of um, legislative or regulatory change in the US anyway um, seems to be very, very difficult. So. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's it's linked to an, another question I'm really interested in, which is the 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 increasing focus on the idea of uh, philanthropic funding for sort of uh, journalism or news media um, as a kind of social good in itself, not to further a particular charitable aim, but because there is inherent public value in the idea of an objective free press. And one of like that that works in a broader sense, but one of the elements of that, I think that's probably most challenging is the role that that free press would then play in holding philanthropy itself to account and you've got to be a particularly enlightened sort of funder or philanthropists to fund uh you know journalist or or news media on on the basis that they're one of their things they're going to be doing is criti- potentially criticizing you or holding you to account but if you genuinely do care about these issues of legitimacy and, and the role of philanthropy and democracy then that seems like the sort of thing you probably have to to think about doing. Yeah, and I think philanthropy's you know, got a big role to play in terms of um, uh, supporting public interest journalism, and it does sort of you know already you know play that role somewhat in the in the United States. Um, not 
so much yet in Australia, although there is sort of movement um, in that space and, you know, there might be some developments there. Um, but, you know, for example, Alliance Magazine, which I think is, you know, an, you know, an exceptionally good um, publication that, you know, publishes diverse um, views and critiques and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great um, magazine. Um, you know, it receives um, funding from um, from you know a number of foundations, U.S. foundations as well, um, and there are some other sort of um, online. Um, I think it's the nonprofit quarterly, for example, in the U.S. It receives philanthropic support, but I think that you know, um, I, I tend to think that there should be more of it, um, more of that kind of um, funding organisations that can you know, yeah, hold philanthropy accountable, but through that make make philanthropy better. Um, but you're right. It requires a, a particularly kind of um, uh, enlightened philanthropist or foundation to fund something that might then turn around and and criticise them. Um, but you know, um, we should still strive towards it. I <laughs> yeah. think. That's that's the idea. Um, I'm aware we're we're in danger of going long. Um, I'd love to to go off on a whole tangent and ask you about the uh, the sort of philanthropy environment in Australia, but maybe we'll we'll save that for a future episode. Um, but just as a kind of final thought and uh, to round things off, you know, we've talked a lot about various different criticisms of philanthropy and kind of how to um put them forward effectively and what the response might be what what to your mind is the the one kind of most um potent criticism of philanthropy and what's the thing that kind of maybe keeps you up at night if that's not too dramatic when you think about your sort of role in terms of promoting philanthropy i think sort of the the thing that i'm yet to kind of you know work out for myself is i think that you know, the criticism that, you know, when philanthropy becomes really big, um, um, you know, there is a potential, and this is the critique of, of Callaghan and, and Reich, et cetera, um, you know, there is a potential that it could sort of, you know, have some, and you know, anti-democratic effects. Um, I, I don't know whether I actually agree with that, but I think it, it could. I haven't worked it out for myself yet. Um, and that is something that keeps me awake at night because I don't like, I don't know the answer to it. And if I don't know the answer to something, then I keep thinking about it. Um, and I haven't found the answer, um, yet. And that's why sort of, you know, going back to sort of the, you know, closer to the beginning of the, the, the chat that we're having, um, you know, I'm really keen to see some really, you know, detailed and robust, you know, possibly book length responses to say, um, you know, Rob Reich's and, and David Callahan's critiques, etc., because it might, you know, I might not agree with them either, but it might sort of help me sort of, you know, yeah, come to a, a position on this. Um, so I think that, that that's sort of something that does um, does keep me, well, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but I do spend <laughs> a lot of time thinking about it. And I, in an Australian context, you know, I, I do sort of think as well, you know, um, Generally here, philanthropy hasn't, you know, received much scrutiny in the media, you know, unlike, you know, even though, um, you know, Rob Reich makes the valid point that, you know, most, you know, commentary around philanthropy is celebration, not scrutiny. I still think it gets, you know, a relative amount of scrutiny in the in the, um, in the US, but that's not really the case in Australia. And I'm just concerned about when, um, you know, a foundation does something wrong here and it does it really wrong. Um, you know, uh, you know, the backlash to that 
how the philanthropic sector will respond, um, you know, hasn't really happened yet. But, um, you know, it goes to those points around sort of legitimacy, social license to operate, etc. So again, in an Australian context, that's something I think about. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd certainly agree that that question of the, you know, democratic legitimacy of philanthropy, um, and that sort of balance between I can definitely buy the argument that you need sometimes to run counter to electoral democracy in order to drive social progress, but then the reality of how often that is actually focused towards things that are generally socially positive versus when it becomes self-interest on the part of elites. That That is a thing I find very difficult to, to square. And, it, and it's sort of there's this kind of tension which yeah, is sort of, you know, apparent, which is, you know, unresolved for me between, you know, how much do we value, you know, freedom and the freedom to do what you want with your philanthropy, um, noting that it's not, really your philanthropy anymore it's sort of you know the the, the community's money but um versus um so freedom versus um inequality uh, or equality so how much does you know especially large-scale philanthropy lead to um you know political inequality so that you know the those elites have more power than than sort of the average person um and you know that there is that tension between freedom and um and equality. Um, and then, you know, it has all the implications in terms of, you know, um, whether it contributes to inequality and injustice, etc. But yeah, it, it's again, sort of something that's sort of um, unresolved for me. I mean, I must admit, you know, I'm very passionate about equality um, and addressing inequality and, you know, injustice, etc. But I also really think that, you know, freedom is an important value. And, you know, part of the, the, the power of philanthropy is its freedom. Um, and so again, I'm very, I'm very cautious when it comes to sort of, you know, um, uh, new ways of maybe, uh, restricting its autonomy. Um, but yeah, again, it's something sort of that I haven't really worked out and, you know, it might be something that I'm still thinking about in 10, 20 years time. I, sus- I suspect so, and it gives. Us, I think that brings us to a good point to close because I guess one of the things I think is healthiest about the current wave of debate about philanthropy is it has brought to light the the extent to which you know philanthropy is not just a niche interest that happens you know over there and and is kind of only for to be concerned the concern of kind of civil society or a small uh, coterie of wonks like you or me. Actually, you know, if you start to dig into it, it raises some of these fundamental questions about things like, you know, freedom and equality or kind of liberty versus justice that are actually some of the central questions of political philosophy going back hundreds of years, which we're definitely, you know, so the fact that you can't answer those, I, I certainly wouldn't feel bad about. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also, and I think that, you know, just, you know, final point as well is that, you know, we've got a role educating sort of the broader community about, you know, what philanthropy does and, um, you know, so that they can understand that. Because I think for a lot of people, um, you know, educated people, you know, who I talk to, they, you know, they'll go, they, they won't really know much about philanthropy um, and what role it plays in society. So I think that, you know, hopefully this, you know, the baby steps that are happening at the moment can sort of, you know, lead to a, more of an awareness of that and that'll be a good thing. Absolutely. Well, listen, let's let's wrap it up there, Christian, because we're, we're just coming up to the hour. But um, it's been absolutely great chatting to you on the podcast. Um, I you know, hope it's been enjoyable for you. And as I say, I'll, I'm definitely going to attempt to uh, twist your arm and get you back on some point in future. Maybe we could have a chat about, you know, philanthropy in Australia or, or some other topic. 
I'd be delighted to come back again. Thanks, Rodri. Okay. Well, thanks again to Christian for making the time to come on the podcast. It was great to have a conversation with him and I definitely mean to make good on my threat to get him back at some point in the future and we can maybe talk about the kind of wider context of philanthropy in Australia, which is something I'd love to hear more about. Um, if you've enjoyed what we've been talking about in the podcast um, and you're interested in following up on some of the books um, and uh, sort of things that Christian and I mentioned, I'll try and put links to all of those in the show notes so that you can check them out there. If you're interested more broadly in issues around philanthropy and democracy, uh, history of philanthropy, technology, all that kind of stuff, uh, check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Um, why not follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis? Um, if you've got ideas for things we could talk about on the podcast, people I could interview, things we could be doing better, drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org. Other than that, uh, tell all your friends about this. Please, you know, go on iTunes and Spotify, give us a favorable rating because I'm sure that sort of thing helps. Um, like, subscribe, and uh, share with all your friends. So I will see you next time. Bye.